1: Hi and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. I'm joined by my co-host Arden O'Connor and guest today is Jim Coutre who is responsible for the oversight of Fidelity's Family Office Services Insights and Connections program and that is a handful. That program (laughs) provides families and family office executives with perspective and problem-solving strategies and materials on a range of subjects from family matters and family well-being all the way to office and financial supports. Is that a big job for you, Jim?
0: (laughs) It it is a fun job. And thank you for saying the description was a handful and that I wasn't a handful. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's, it's... I, honestly, it's it's probably the most fun job at all of Fidelity, but don't tell my colleagues.
1: Don't tell your colleagues. That's great. So tell us a little bit about what the role is.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it's really just about providing just perspective and problem solving uh, for clients and really a, a perspective and problem solving on issues not related to finance or investments. So I'm kind of like the odd man out uh, at a big financial service firm. So, you know, so what are those issues? They're, they're really, um, you know, issues that kind of fall into two buckets. One bucket being uh, family office matters um, and, and, and things like then the other bucket being kind of family matters. And what I do is I help clients just figure out what they're dealing with. Maybe, you know, trying to address a, a problem or a challenge that they're having, or maybe it's just helping them kind of unpack and, and learn kind of what, what it is that they're dealing with. Um, and then I work with them to find a way to make some progress on whatever that issue is. And Maybe that's just sharing what others are doing and what I'm seeing in the field. Maybe it's giving them things to read, things to learn. Maybe it's connecting them to peers or when there's some heavy lifting involved, I'll introduce them to third-party um, advisors and consultants that they can hire to do kind of whatever that work is with their, with their family or with their office.
1: Broad. That's really broad. You're expected to know a lot about a lot. So can you give us an example of a situation where somebody called you up and this is the way you were helpful?
0: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it comes, to, um, it comes to people's kids. I mean, that's what they care most about. So I get a lot of calls about, hey, you know, uh, and, and the calls often start up with, hey, I need to get some, you know, some financial literacy help for my kid. And then I can kind of sit down with them and try to unpack, you know, well, why do you think so? What is it that they really need? And maybe it is actually some financial literacy help, but more often than not, it's actually they're just kind of struggling with what it means to raise a, a healthy kid amidst, um, you know, I- extreme wealth. Um, and so then I can kind of talk with them, find out where their family is and you um, and just you know share with them ways to think about you know what what great you know healthy development of a rising gen family member might look like and also deal with stuff that's not you know again not on the family side so um you know a family office exec that's trying to you know build a, a robust dynamic family office that might the issues may be about you know how do you develop talent in a flat organization where there's not a lot of changeover, or how do you make sure that you stay aligned with the family you know, as the kind of family moves through like a, a generational transition or something.
2: It's an interesting breath, as Diana said, and I guess my question to you is, you know, are there other issues that families are calling you for that are pretty common? And how have you seen those issues change since the onset of the pan- of the pandemic?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the, the issues that family call um, have all, traditionally uh, talked to me about are, are some of those evergreen issues? So you know, you know, what is it like to raise kids, or how do you think about the purpose of your wealth, or how do you think about success um, that's enabled by um, kind of the, the financial success that, that you have? Uh, things like how to work together as a family, how to communicate as a family, how to think about legacy, how to do philanthropy, or really any of those any of those opportunities. And I think that Arden, that the issues um, that I've been talking to clients about over the last uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. Haven't necessarily changed, but they've 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 definitely they've, they've magnified and they've become a lot more um, urgent. You know, I, I think that if you look back since the start of the pandemic, um, there's a lot more disruption there besides just the pandemic. There's the pandemic. There was kind of racial awakening. There's social unrest. There seems to be polarization of everything. There's a challenge on our democracy. And I think how you experience those things um, certainly kind of changed the way um that 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 you're kind of viewing the world right now and to most uh, and from what i'm saying it's actually like changed um it's changed people they're just different families are different individuals are different than they were at the beginning you know back in in, in 19 in 2019 and i think that is a um and sometimes it's kind of scary sometimes kind of risky but i think it's a really great opportunities for families to kind of stop and take a second to reflect on you know how they're different how things have changed, and what might they learn from that and how might they evolve as a family or how might they evolve the family office um, because of those changes
1: yeah that is interesting i know you work a lot with rising generation i call them kids because i'm old but working with the (laughs) rising generation tell me what issues you are seeing that seem to dominate the landscape right now for that population
0: yeah, I, I mean, I think um, it's a really tough time, relatively speaking, to be a rising gen family member, to be an inheritor that's coming into to extreme wealth. Um, I mean, this is, you know, it's that question, like what does it mean to be wealthy in, in 2021? You know, this is a time where where wealth inequality is, is spiking. I mean, being a, a person of wealth with resources right now, is this weird thing where you're both like, admired and then also hated um mm-hmm. really wealthy people can be seen as both the savior and the enemy at the same time and that puts huge pressure on uh, on these on these young inheritors you know they have this this great opportunity they have opportunity to do stuff they have opportunity to achieve more they can move freely um, they have opportunity to enjoy i mean we've seen uh, over the past year and a half just how they've, they've had the opportunity to avoid the worst of what everybody else has been experiencing but on the, on the flip side of that is there's also pressure. Like you're constantly in the spotlight. People are constantly trying to out you. College roommates are trying to out you for your wealth. And, mm-hmm. and there's just this, this constant mm-hmm. feel of an obligation to, to prove that you're, you're worthy of wealth or you prove that you're just not even a, you know, a, a selfish jerk. And I, th- <laughs> I think these, these issues have been around and, and you guys know these have kind of always been around, but I think they're just much more in our faces today and I, I think that what i've seen since the start of the pandemic is i've seen more isolation and more anxiety um, from the rising generation they feel like they, they feel uh, they feel like they're in hiding a little bit more than i had seen previously um, and that's just not a kind of a, a great healthy place and the other thing is just i, I feel that we're seeing um just a, a lot more sense of kind of shame and they're carrying around that burden um because again um you know these are Issues that have always been around, but they're just magnified now. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I don't know. I I think that yes, um, you could make an argument that there's worse problems to have than being, you know, having the the pressure of having extreme wealth. But I think the rising gen family members that I work with, you know, the thing that I kind of keep in mind is that these are individuals that have their families have outsized resources, and that means that their families also have outsized influence and outsize ability to to, to, in, to have impact on the world around them, whether that impact is positive or, or negative. And so I think it's important for us to be thinking about, you know, as a field, how do we really focus on these rising gens so that we can make them as healthy and capable as possible? Because I think when the healthier they are and the more capable they are, the more intentional they're going to be and the kind of impact that, they, that they're going to have on people in the world around them.
1: It's really interesting because I have watched over the last several decades, parents doing more for kids, interfering more, sort of over-functioning, swooping in, all of those things. And I worry for what you're talking about is this rising gen. Do they have the experience with hardship and struggle, whether that is economic or not, we all have to deal with hardship and struggle. So, I'm wondering if they have the experience, or if that's one of the things you coach families through.
0: You know, I I, I think it's um, you know, every every rise gen family member is different. Most that I see have um, are, they're wonderful and they're and and they're they're well adjusted and they have drive and they have motivation. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, yes, you can look at it in, in terms of the individual. What does that individual child need? One of the ways that that I'm trying to work with clients, and I'm trying to get um, get support for this rising generation, is is through their family office, because I think the family office is this amazing um, instrument. It's a vehicle out there um, that most often is is you know harnessed to to develop uh, financial capital, but really can be used. Um, as an instrument to help develop the um, the rising generation in a way that's more intentional, in a way that's more structured, in a way that's um, that's more consistent than if you just kind of leave it to, you know, the family members themselves or parents to do it on their own.
2: So you mentioned family offices, which I think is a great point. I'd be curious to hear two things. One is how do you think that family offices can better support that rising generation? And then two, you know, are those changes or is sort of the philosophy around that held by the older generation? Do you see conflicts in the way in which people think about their family offices, or is there sort of a general consensus as to this is sort of the way we have to move? Knowing that that this question is gonna be complicated because most family offices are very distinctive. So I imagine there's not one grand sweeping generalization we can make that it holds true for all cultures and areas of the country and all families.
0: I guess the way I'll answer that Arden is I think I still see too many family offices that are very solely focused on financial capital. Um, that's the way that the office is set up, you know, maybe the founder when they kind of developed it, they needed somebody to deal with investments or somebody to deal with taxes. And it's kind of shaped that way. And um, whether by designers unintentionally, a lot of families, family offices still are just around that model of financial capital. And I think that's the lost opportunity. Um, because, you know again, why is the financial capital there? It's not just to amass more financial capital. it's to it's to uh, you know uh, to help the family, to help the family thrive, to help the family flourish. And so to take that element of family flourishing out of the family office and not give them a job in that, I think is doing a, a disservice to the family. Um, and so, you know, how, how do you bring that into a family office? How do, you, how do you bring the development of, you know, of the qualitative capitals and not just the financial capital into the family office? And I, I think sometimes it's, you know, it's really up to the family members to ask for that and, and, and kind of demand that it comes into the office. And sometimes it's also up for the executives to, to, to step in and intervene and say, hey, we got some great opportunities here. Um, and so, you know, uh, just I think about four family office executives. It, it, it's... Um, you know, when I talk to them, the kind of the advice I give them is take a second to reflect on what's going on in the family and, and how that how that second gen or how that rising gen is um, is being supported or not being supported, and mm-hmm. then look at what you can do to help the family, kind of create a different version, a different goal for success, and so and so going to the family and helping kind of create a vision for success that isn't just around financial financial capital. Um, when executives can do that and can kind of paint this kind of this North star of where the family wants to be and what success looks like for them in terms of health, in terms of thriving, then the family office can jump in place and put put things in place to support progress towards those goals. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I I think of one family office that, you know, like every other family office, you know, they obviously have this mentality of stewardship of financial capital. And so they have all these lawyers and, and and tax professionals and investment people to store that capital, but at some point in their in their history, they they kind of flipped the, that that stewardship model over, and they said, "Hey, as a family, it's not the financial capital that's the most important; it's our family members. So let's mm-hmm. make ourselves a family dedicated to the stewardship of humans." Hmm. And so as soon as you do that, then you and you say, "Okay, family office, like you're here to support that goal to help us be good stewards of humans." Also, the family office has to do a lot of different things. You know, it has to understand what that means. It has to come up with some framework of what success looks like. And in this case, family is using, you know, qualitative capitals like uh, like human capital, social capital, legacy capital. And they they use that articulation for the family office to create um, programs and create um, goals around each of those capitals and then support the rising gen with things like education, things like learning, uh, things like volunteer opportunities, things like connections to peers, and and even mentorships there, um, because that family mm-hmm. office kind of has a roadmap to the the qualitative capital goals, and they can keep the hold hold the family kind of accountable for making progress towards them.
2: Really interesting. I mean, it sounds like a model that we haven't seen in the family office space, at least in the past you know twenty twenty five years. So I, I think it's great to hear that there's a broader perspective on ways in which we can redesign um, family offices to have more than a financial outcome. I'm smiling as you're speaking because I think of, you know, the terms I often hear, and I'm sure you've heard this and it's probably a pet peeve is, you know, this is the softer side of wealth. Whereas I sort of look at it like this is actually the hard stuff. This is where families often experience sometimes conflict, sometimes they have they're even in the best of family circumstances they may not all be in agreement about how you know philanthropy money is going to be used or ways in which they're going to meet and all those kinds of things i'm curious you know when that pops up in a family system whether a family is asking you for for uh, a referral that might be a delicate subject matter or you sense that there is a dynamic that may not be in total cohesion how you manage that as a professional who's also Representing a major financial institution that wants to keep the families happy, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I guess the, the the first thing I do is to make sure that the family uh, and the and the family office executives understand that there is um, brewing. Uh, brewing opinions, I, I don't know maybe sometimes it's conflict. Maybe sometimes it's conflicting values or priorities, but but maybe it's you know, maybe it's not cause that conflicting seems like it's it's uh, it's a bad thing. But just to help the the family office and the family embrace the fact that they need to talk, they need to work through this. They need to engage family members in what might be uncomfortable conversations. because I, I think in my experience, I've seen too many family offices. Who are more than happy to um, kind of turn a blind eye to discontent or, or differing opinions within the uh, within the family, um, and they're you know more than happy to just kind of say you know hey this isn't you know I'm a family office executive I'm a professional this family stuff I don't want to get involved you know and I, I don't want to bring in all these voices, and um, and that can be harmful to the family because if you pretend that 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 conflict or those differing voices aren't there, um, then you and, and, and you ignore it or you try to quell it, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't lead to good outcomes. um, Because either Mm -hmm. what you're gonna have is you're gonna have kind of like a pressure cooker where some family members become more and more dissatisfied and and they feel more and more alienated. Um, And that polarization builds. And then the office is more likely to have something really just kind of blow up um, and, and potentially be kind of beyond the point where you can repair it. Or the other way is if, you, if the officer just kind of quells it and doesn't engage in this conversation, in these dialogues with these, with these different voices, family members just, they, they feel disenfranchised and they feel like no one's listening to me they, and they feel unengaged and they, and they just pull themselves away. And all of a sudden what, um, that, 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 that kind of energy to be a strong, healthy family and to maintain and, and, and run and grow a family enterprise disappears and it's replaced with apathy mm-hmm. and family members just kind of check out and drift off and that's not a that's a not a great outcome either. And so, being able to really embrace the fact that hey, we got to bring all parties to the table, and let's do that uncomfortable work. Um, I mean, uh, that, that's that's the greatest thing when we see uh, you know, families and family offices is kind of get to that point. And then that's where usually we'll go and we'll find I'll work with the family to find uh, you know a consultant, a third party that can come in and, and manage those conversations for them, because a lot of this stuff. Um, it's just not the skill set of the professionals running the office. Um, and they should, you know I want them to be able to engage it, but I don't want them to get too much out over their skis on it because uh, there are people that do this kind of full- time know what they're doing. So you know I'll work with them to just kind of identify the right the right person based on skill set based on um, just kind of culture um, and and personality, and we'll we'll get them to the family.
1: That's great. Many of our families, in fact, many of us are conflict averse. So I can see where, you know, asking a family office professional to dive deep into somebody's substance use disorder, mental health, or other issues that are, you know, at risk in the family, I would think would be uncomfortable. And and
0: also, you know, I appreciate that a lot of the people that are running family offices are there because they've they've come up, um, you know, with the family or with the supporting firm of the family, up up through um, careers like law and careers like tax and careers like like investing, and those are very tangible things, um, and these are generally really really high IQ individuals. But that doesn't mean that they. Have the skills or even that that natural inclination to want to get involved in these kind of messy things these uncertain things um, and, and so you know it's not that they also don't have a high eq but but generally the ones that really high iqs um, they're, they're pursuing that professional career because that's what feels right to them and this messy mm-hmm. emotional stuff with no necessarily right or wrong answers it's just you know that's scary so i, I understand they want to stay away from it
2: I have a related question to that. Can family office executives learn from each other, you know, in in this area or in others? I know privacy is a major concern and, you know, especially in a single family office where you're representing one particular family, you know, there's concerns about how much you can share and what's appropriate to share. But I'm curious, just based on what you said, that I feel like in many family offices, particularly smaller ones, the person may be tasked with managing the, you know, finances of the family, but all sorts of other stuff pops up. Um, and I know Fidelity's done a lot of work in this area to have um, shared experiences, shared learnings. And I'm curious your your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, and you know, um, absolutely, uh, professionals need a, a, a peer network. I mean, just like being a um, uh, you know, an inheritor is a, is kind of isolating and lonely. Being a family office executive is probably twice that uh, in terms of isolation and loneliness. Um, you know, families just don't want to pay their executives to go around and, and network and, and share stuff about their families. But that, that's honestly, that's what it takes How to, to be.
1: You
0: know, but that's what it takes to be, I think, to really serve the family well, because you you need to problem shoot stuff um, and you need to have peers to collaborate. You need to, executives need to be able to see what else is going on on the horizon so that they can help the office evolve and they can bring all these other best ideas back to their office. So um, I, I do think that peer networking has become more of the norm. Um, for family office executives. And uh, you, know, you just look at the rise of, of the number of just regional peer groups around the country. And then with the effort um, that the Forge community is doing, um, I mean, right there, so Forge community really is a gathering place for um, all these kind of smaller regional peer groups. And right now, Forge consists of, um, I think there's 46 different regional groups representing over 800 single family offices um, that are using the uh, the forgecommunity.com platform um, where they can go in and they can kind of work in another group where they have access to um, kind of this big national network of, of 625 active uh, single family office executives, you know, like a, like getting on there and sharing, asking questions and sharing resources. And again, kind of providing that peer to peer support that, that allows us all to do our jobs a lot better.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what is your favorite book recommendation? I am one of those people who always recommends books to my clients. So, what's yours? What's your favorite?
0: All right. Oh, wow. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that a little differently. So, I'm gonna give you my whole my my whole reading list. Um, and what that what that means is um, one of the questions that in my job I get here more often than any other question is, hey, Jim, what should I be thinking about that I'm not thinking about? And I love that question because when I'm sitting there and talking to a client, you know, I can start pinging different ideas off and different concepts, different things and kind of find out what they're thinking about. And then I can be like, okay, here are the things that that I want you to know. Um, but I can't do that with everybody. Um, so we recently, my team recently created a new resource to go and capture those 100 ideas that, I th- that I've seen, um, over the last decade that kind of create the most aha moment for families and for family office executives. And so we pulled that all together on this, in this kind of online, free, um, easily accessible resource. So it's uh, insightexplorer.fidelity.com. And you can go in there. You can choose whether you want to explore issues that are relevant to your family or issues that are relevant to your family office and you jump in and there's a couple sections and you just respond to some diagnostic statements. And uh, they'll show you a statement and you can tell you, do you agree? Um, or, um, and you click, yes, I agree. Great, that means that you're thinking about it. Or if you click, hmm, tell me more, then that means that you're not necessarily sure about that concept. And then we feed up a just one or two white papers. Um, that'll be maybe a little segment from one of my favorite authors um, that'll kind of capture the core of the idea. So, really a great way if you want to know what I, what, like, what I want people to read, you know, what I'm reading, what I think is valuable, uh, is to spend a little time on Inside Explorer and, uh, and, and just, you know, see what really, really stands out and, and seems interesting to you.
1: I like that. That's the modern day version of going into the bookstore and letting your intuition guide you to the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you guys for having me. Um, Really appreciate it and and love the work that you guys are doing. Um, Super important. So thank you.
1: Thank you for joining us today on a Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today's guest, Jim Coutre from Fidelity, was wonderful listen, and we hope that you will listen to it more than once. And if you like us, rate us on your platform of choice.
0: Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit BeyondTheBalanceSheet.com to read more about our guests and resources, and sign up for our newsletter.